You know, ladies, over the past few weeks, the men of the church, a few weeks back, had an opportunity to think about the history of our church and where we've come from and how the Lord has led us, guided us, blessed us over that time. In a sense, I'd like us to trace a little bit of history as we start off in this thought of the peace, the comfort, and the joy that we can have in Jesus. Because it really helps put it into context. If you think about where we've come from and what the Lord has given us, I hope that it will inflate your heart with joy this day. These are things, the particular passages that we're going to go over, that were just read to you. This is exactly what we're going to look at. We don't need to go into a lot of depth on it. All I want to do is pull out phrases, words here and there for you to look at and think about and see if it doesn't encourage your hearts, comfort your hearts, and give you joy in the Lord's service. These are the kind of thoughts as our brother talked about. This is the kind of thing that when you get depressed, when something happens, disastrous, like a stoplight comes up when you need to go a little faster. Okay? When something like that happens, these are the kind of things that we should turn our thoughts to. That will help us to have the kind of joyful life that we should have as God's children. Ephesians chapter 2. Thank you, Brother Colin, for reading this. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorites. And this second chapter has become much more dear over time as we consider it. Verse 11, Paul is giving the Ephesians this historical context. He's putting in the dots for them to help show them what the Lord has done for them. Let's connect those dots ourselves right now. Think about our history. Where do we come from? Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles in the flesh. What does that mean? Who are called uncircumcision. By that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. What's the big deal about circumcision? Only this. That God gave circumcision to his friend Abraham. To mark him out. And to mark out his descendants forever. As his people. We weren't part of that, brethren. As Gentiles. We weren't part of that covenant. What does that mean? Verse 12. That at that time, talking about this past time, you were without Christ. Brethren, who was Christ? Our brother has done a great job of pointing out that when you look at different words, you have to understand the language they were put into. Christ is the Greek form, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. Right? You know, think about Shiloh that was promised to Judah, the ruler that was come over the people. Think about the branch over in Isaiah. Think about Messiah, the prince. Who are all these glorious terms written to speak of? Jesus Christ, right? But who are they written to? Jews. The Old Testament. 
Not a single one of those prophecies, at least at those parts that I'm talking about, had us in mind. Right? Who were the only people who had the full revelation of God before about 30 A.D.? It was the Jews. That means that all of us, the people we descended from, were outside. We weren't Jews. We didn't have that revelation to us. We didn't have those promises given to us. Continuing on. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Oh, that should strike you right now, right? Isn't there a big deal about aliens coming into our country? And we're not talking about little green Martians. We're talking about people from Mexico, right? We're talking about people from Guatemala, from Honduras, from Vietnam, from other parts of the world wanting to come into the United States. Why? This is a place of blessing, isn't it? Well, spiritual blessing, that was Israel. We were aliens. We were the wetbacks. We were the ones who couldn't get across that border for the spiritual blessings. We are outside the borders of the land of promise, brethren. That's our background. And strangers from the covenants of promise. God made specific promises to his people Israel. He promised them a land. He promised them that they could go up and worship in peace. He specifically said, there's three times in the year I want you to come up before me. But I'm going to make it easy for you. If you're following my rules, what's going to happen? I mean, think about it. All the men were to assemble in one place three times a year. Any enemy nearby, all they got to do is look at the calendar and say, hey, perfect time to go up, right? And to take some land from Israel. Except the Lord said, they won't even desire your, they won't even think to desire your property while you're meeting with me. So imagine, brethren, being in a place where it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a place where you get to worship the God of heaven and he's guaranteed that three times a year when he expects you to come before him, you don't have to worry about it. Nobody's even going to be thinking about coming into your land. Those are the kind of covenants, the promises that were given to them. Rest in that land. We're talking about people that were slaves for 400 years in a foreign land. This was their rest. We were outside of that, brethren. You know, the tribe of Eastland wasn't part, you know, wasn't listed there with the 12 tribes. Okay? You know, the wonderful tribe of Carnell was not listed, you know, in that list of people that were part of Israel. Having no hope. Brethren, if we were outside of Israel, we had no basis for hope in our lives. Who are we worshiping? I don't know about you guys, but you know, I think the Eastlands, a lot of the Eastlands were British, right? Oh, wonderful. We planted ourselves blue and worshiped mistletoe. Right? That's what we did. We worshiped with the Druids. No hope. We weren't worshiping the true God at all. And without God in the world, practically speaking, there was no official relationship any of us or our families had with God. 
We were outside of his land and his people. We were outside his promises and his blessings. That's pretty hopeless. That's pretty bad. Ah, but don't you like the way that next verse starts? One of those gorgeous disjunctives. But, sharp contrast now, but now. Talking about starting from the time of Paul when he was writing this to the brethren in Ephesus. And it's lasted from that all the way down to our day. But now, in Christ Jesus, we all, we all that are members are believers in Jesus Christ here, aren't we? I mean, that's our claim, that Jesus Christ is my Savior. Look at what's in Christ Jesus, at least in this passage. In Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh. Brethren, we're no longer strangers. We're no longer outside that boundary trying to sneak across the border. We've been brought inside. How will we made nigh? By the blood of Jesus Christ. By His blood. Verse 14. For He is our peace. Brethren, there was a warfare. You don't need to read much in the Old Testament. You see, there was a constant warfare, right? A warfare to take that land. Then a warfare to hold off all those outside that land. All their enemies. The Jews were always at war with somebody. Because they had the blessing of God. But now, brethren, that warfare has been stopped. It's ended. He's our peace. Jesus Christ has made peace for us. For He is our peace. Who hath made both one? Now this is talking again about the chosen people of God, the Jews and Gentiles. And we're talking about it in this case in the context of the New Testament church. He's taken both these warring parties. He's not just made peace with them, right? right? I mean, it's not just that we've got a treaty with them. You know, a non-aggression pact. You know, I won't attack you if you don't attack me. No. He's taken these two warring parties and he's pulled them together to make one new body out of them. Wow! I mean, is civil war possible? Yes, our country lived through one. But it's not that often. In most times, you know, the boundaries of blood keep us together, don't they? Well, the Lord's done that. And what's the, what is that blood that brought us together? The blood of Jesus Christ. But now, we've been made both one. And, look at these phrases as we go through this, brethren. It just keeps building. The Lord doesn't do things in half measures. The Lord doesn't just do something nice for you. He does something nice for you. He surrounds you with goodness. He puts a warm blanket all around you and then He showers down blessings. That's the way I want you to read these passages as we go through it. He's broken down the middle wall of partition between us. I mean, if you think about the, the building of God, think about the temple of God where God was worshipped, right? Right? Okay, they had all these different courts, you know, the outer court, the inner court. They even had a court of the Gentiles, right? 
That's as close as you and I could get way out here. The Jews could get here, but then only the priests could get in here. Well, guess what God did? He broke down that wall. There is now no division. There is no Jew or Gentile anymore, brethren, since the time of Paul. Since the time Paul wrote this, in God's mind, when it comes to the religious worship of God, there's no distinction. Wow. That division's gone. We're all here together now. He made peace and then he reconciled us both together. He broke down that wall of partition. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. The enmity. Do you know what that means, brethren? He canceled the war. That's what an enmity is. That's warfare. He, he, he killed the war. He stopped the war between us. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. Why? For to make in himself of twain, that's two different pieces, one new man making peace. Isn't this the second time he's talked about making peace? See what I mean when I talk about the fact that he doesn't just say, you know, here, have a hamburger. No. He says, no, here, have a steak. Okay? Let's make sure it's cooked just the way you want it. Let's make sure we've got all the, 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 the baked potato, the fully loaded baked potato that goes with it, right? Let's make sure you've got a, a good whatever beverage that you like sitting there with it. It's in an air-conditioned restaurant that's just the right temperature. It's served by a smiling waitstaff who is just out to get do anything that they can to please you as you enjoy your good meal. With the stacked chocolate cake, you know, waiting for dessert afterwards. I mean, that's the way the Lord does things. He makes peace. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile both Unto God. Oh, now see, there's another party in this. Up to this time, we've just been thinking about the Jews over here, right? There's another party that was offended with us, wasn't he? Actually, he was offended with both parties because of our sins. That's Jehovah God. But you know what Jesus Christ did? He reconciled us to each other and offered us both up to the Father. So, brethren, we've got a whole bunch of new relatives in this brand new family that we're now part of that we were never part of before. We're citizens in this wonderful kingdom that God's had for thousands of years that we were never part of. And he's made it so we all are acceptable, beloved in the sight of the ruler of that glorious kingdom, his father. And he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. He destroyed any basis for warfare between God and men. Wow. Brethren, do you ever think about your sins? After what our brother said this past week? After what our brother pointed out about the way our crazy minds think and work? Why we need to control them? Because they are so weird and strange in what they can come up with and how that violates what he wants us to do. 
Well, Jesus Christ took care of all of that. Jesus Christ took care of all of our wicked thoughts, all of our foolish thoughts, all of our ungratefulness. That was part of what he had to take care of on the cross. And remember this, does God, where did the principle of double jeopardy come from? You know what double jeopardy is, right? When you come before a judge against a set of crimes that says you're committed, if they go through the proper legal trial and all the evidence is presented and you're declared not guilty, what's that mean? Oh, they find one more piece of evidence? No, case is closed. Case is closed. You can't be tried on that again. Think about every single wicked thought you have ever thought in the past or you're going to think in the future. Because you see, God's not bounded by time. Not like us. All of that is what Jesus Christ came to die for. Isn't that something to be thankful for? Is that something to be joyful over? That's no excuse for us not to gird up the loins of our mind as our brother taught us. But when we do slip, when we don't do everything we should do, oh Lord Jesus Christ, you died for that sin too. Thank you. We can have peace in our hearts because the way is still going to be open to our Father. Because Jesus, not because of me, not even because of my repentance, but because Jesus Christ opened that way for me at the cost of his blood. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them which were nigh. See, it wasn't just good enough for him to take care of all this stuff. He wanted you to know about it. Brethren, what good would it be to know that you've got to have a great inheritance and not know you got it? I mean, live like a pauper all your life, right? If you didn't know about it. But Jesus Christ made sure to come tell you about it. He wrote you a book about it, right? He preserved ministers who could tell you about that blessed inheritance you have. He sent those ministers to you to tell you. I'm giving you an idea of how you need to be thinking. The kind of controls you ought to have on your mind. See, these are the positive things you should be thinking. Why? God said it. Not because it's, you know, again, it's not positive mental attitude. It's positive spiritual attitude. It's a matter of faith. And what I tell you here in the book, yes, God wrote it, right? Are you going to believe it? Are you going to have faith and believe it? If so, what a wonderful thing it is. Why don't we believe it? For through Him, verse 18, We both have access. Look at that. He keeps pounding that in. It's not Jew and Gentile has access. We both have access. Because again, in in Paul's mind, they're not two Jews and Gentiles anymore. In 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 the ultimate sense, it's God's people. We both have access to the Father. By one Spirit, through the Spirit of God, we have joint access into the Father's presence. Verse 19, because of all that, what does Paul say? Now, therefore, see that therefore, 
What have we been taught? Anytime you see a therefore, you ask what's the therefore? Therefore? So this is the explanation. See, these are just facts Paul has been piling up for them. What's the lesson? Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners. No more strangers. We're not separated from God's people or His blessing. But fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Brethren, we who were, again, looking across the border, outside the border, looking across in the promised land, we're now sitting in the king's palace. We're part of his family. We're inside. We're part of God's family. Wow. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Don't you love that? Both parties. Who were the ones who led the revelation of God in the Old Testament? The prophets. Who led the the Revelation of God's knowledge in the New Testament. The apostles. Again, they're listed together. That's our foundation. The message that God inspired through the Old Testament prophets that was confirmed and furthered through the ministry of the apostles. That's our foundation. We've got a Jewish foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That's who the prophets were really pointing to all along, was right. Jesus Christ. That's who the apostles explicitly were pointing to, Jesus Christ. Does that make better sense now? Would it why Paul said that over in, Ephes- over in Galatians? You know, that if you're Abraham's seed and the seed of Abraham was Jesus Christ, oh, then if we're Jesus Christ, we are heirs of Abraham according to the promise. We've got the same foundation and notice next, next one, next, next verse 21, in whom all the building fitly framed together. First of all, all the building. We're talking about a holy temple to worship God in, right? Fitly framed. We're talking about not just a slap hazard, slap dash effort, right? I mean, we've got some carpenters in this congregation. You know what it means to frame something, right? To fitly frame it means you're doing it just right. You've got the right design. You're putting everything together just perfectly to meet the architect's plans. Right? That's the building we're in now. That's this congregation, brethren. It's fitly framed. It's carefully constructed by the master carpenter himself based on his plans. Brethren, do you think of our congregation that way? We are a building that Jesus Christ put together. Every single member is here because Jesus Christ said, I mean, just like a carpenter, he says, hey, this is a nice piece of fur here. I think this would make a good decoration over here. So he takes it, he carves it, and he puts it over there. Oh, we need this structural member over here. Well, that's Jesus Christ picking every one of you and me that are here. In whom also are builded together. Look how he keeps putting those things in there. Together. For an inherent inhabitant 
for an habitation of God through the Spirit. We're God's home. We're the home of God. Can you get much closer than being in the home where somebody resides? I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I don't, I don't bring just any stranger off the street to my home, right? It's usually the only people close to me that get into my home. That's where we live now. That's what we've been made to be the home of God. Go to First John chapter one. I will have to hurry up to try to get through what I want to do, but I hope you see my method. I hope there's some reason behind it. The Apostle John, we've now gone through Paul. Paul is our apostle. Give you a little reason why my outline goes this way. Paul is our apostle of Gentiles, right? But he's basically just told us that, hey, we're part and parcel of Israel. We're part and parcel of that old Jewish religion made better now under Jesus Christ. Well, let's go to one of the Jewish apostles now and look at some of the things that he says to see if we get some comfort, some peace, and some joy in those things. Because we can claim them. Because we're all now both the same body. Right? First John, I mean, first, yes, first John chapter one. John, first of all, gives us a little bit of his background. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. This is talking about the ministry that John had with who's the word of life? Jesus Christ. Jesus, I mean, John, do you remember? Who was the one that Jesus allowed to lay on his bosom at the, the Last Supper? John. The closest disciple in an earthly sense that we know of was John. What better man to tell us these things? He was an, uh, he was an apostle. He witnessed Jesus Christ's ministry. He saw him three and a half years. He saw him die. He saw him raised up from the dead. For we, for the life, was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life, which is with the Father, and was manifest unto us. He's just pointing out, He was with us, He came from the Father. Verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you. He's just Again, this is his background. My task is to tell you what I saw and heard of Jesus Christ. Why? That ye also may have fellowship with us. Brethren, we can have apostolic fellowship. If we're following the writings of the apostles, we can have fellowship with them. The men that were closest to Jesus Christ. His friends. Remember, doesn't he call them that over in John? We'll see in a few minutes. They were his friends. We can be with the friends of Jesus Christ. Have fellowship with them. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Brethren, do you know what that means? Through Scripture, through reading it and understanding it, we can have fellowship with God Himself. We can have fellowship with His apostles, and they were in fellowship with the Father Himself and Jesus Christ. One more verse, and we're done with this passage. And these things write we unto you that you can toe the line. 
that your joy may be full. Amen. Yes, brethren, there are things that we need to know from Scripture so that we can toe the line. But why do we want to toe the line? Because we love the one whose line we're towing. He's our friend. He's our father. He's the one who sent his beloved son to die for us so that we can have this fellowship with him. He's the Lord of the universe. These things are written to us so that our joy can be full. Overflowing joy we can have if we understand what he's telling us. Okay, First John, uh, John chapter, can somebody guess? From what we read, 14. I won't make you wait too long. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Again, I, we, we, we could go to all sorts of places to find these things. These are just the ones that came to my mind. I welcome you to go out and find other places. I welcome you to f- make me look sick for the few piddly things I'm going to show you today. John chapter 14, first three verses. We didn't read this, but they're quickly read. Let not your heart be troubled. And who's saying this? Those of you with red writing books? This is Jesus Christ himself. Let not your hearts be troubled. Oh, but you say this is talking to the apostles. Yeah, and we have fellowship with them, right? And with Jesus and the Father. See, that's part of the reason I went to these other passages to show you can see this. By the way, as we read through here, there's a couple things. We're not going to read every single word. And there's certain things that I would even say that don't apply to us. They apply directly to the ones he was talking to, which were the apostles. But the broad scope of what he was talking to, to them applies to us equally well, as I hope you'll see. Like this. Let not your heart be troubled. Why was it troubled? As Orville pointed out, this was right. This is at the Last Supper. This is right before he goes to the cross, just a few hours after this. He told them that. I'm going to go. They're going to take me and crucify me. Their hearts were troubled. They had been with him three and a half years. They didn't know how they could survive without him. Don't be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Brethren, there's peace for believers. You have a troubled heart, believe in Jesus. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. There's a lot. I mean, God's the God of creation. He's telling us here that in my Father's house, we know what's that place called? Heaven. In heaven, there's a lot of dwelling places, brethren, that God has made. And Jesus has basically said, don't call me a liar because I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I go to prepare a place for you. Don't worry about me going away. I'm just going to make a better place for you guys. I'm going to customize your houses for you. Jesus makes personal preparations for us, brethren, in heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Again, is Jesus a liar or does Jesus tell us the truth? He's telling us the truth, right? 
He's coming back. Do you have problems? Do you have concerns in this life? Do you feel like you're left out and forgotten? Sometimes you haven't been. Jesus Christ tells us right here, I left, but I'm coming back for you. And I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. See, he's our friend. He hasn't abandoned us. He's just got a different task to do for a while, and we've got a task to do down here. But the day's coming when he's going to come get us and take us to be with him. He's preparing us a place. He's going to receive us. Jesus Christ is going to receive you. He's going to receive me. And we'll be living with him forever where he's located. Jump down to 15 where we were read. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now we could pound on that, but I mean it's pretty simple, right? If you love him, you're going to do what you're going to want to do the things that please him. He gave commandments, you want to keep them. And now notice, this isn't, you know, this isn't a verse to pound us with, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Jesus Christ was comforting them and telling them, hey, I've given you commandments. You love me? Do those commandments. And I'm going to pray God will send you another comforter. Jehovah was to send another comforter to those who love him, to love his son. That he may abide with you till next Thursday. Forever. Forever. Is that a friend? Is that somebody taking care of our needs? He sends the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. This is a spirit the world can't have, right? But where is he for us? Is he at the house next door? Do I have to go downtown to his office to see him? He's right here inside me. Wow. The Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside me. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. In both senses. He comes to us in the sense that he's in perfect Union and communion with the Spirit. So if we're fellowshipping with the Spirit inside us, we're fellowshipping with Jesus. But also, he's already said, right, he's going to come down to get us, to take us up to where he is. Is that good? That's, That's good stuff. But it keeps going. It keeps going. Where was I here? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye shall see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. Do you understand that part? Is Jesus Christ alive right now? Amen. He's supplying us everything we need so we can live too. 
Do any of us ever expect to go through one-tenth of the issues that Jesus had to face in his life? Whether it's the opposition, whether it's the physical pain, whether it's the emotional pain. Brethren, you want to know emotional pain? Think about always, forever, from the moment you were born, being in direct communion with God the Father. Blessed communion with God the Father. His perfect, ideal Son, whom He loved dearly. And then you go to this place called Golgotha, and all of a sudden, that communion is broken. It's severed. I'm talking about what the man, Jesus, had to go through on the cross. He never sinned, but think of that. Think about having, I don't know, some of us, you know, really wanted to get married because we wanted a companion. We wanted a friend. We wanted somebody we could always have with us and next to us and count on. He had it. And he lost it on the cross for you and me. Now, back to my, my point. Do we think we'll ever go through anything like that? Nah. But you know what? If we were to come even close to that, he's been through it. Do you think he knows what we need? Do you think he's capable of providing what we need? Let's see here. He's the word that created the world. I think he's got the power to do it. Give us what we need, don't you? And didn't he say, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He willingly, he willingly took our punishment on himself. I don't think he's going to willingly not give us everything we need. Oh, but that's right. We get a verse that says that, don't we? Over in Romans chapter 8. He'll give us everything we need, brethren. Because I live, you shall live also. Verses 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father. Brethren, do you try to keep God's commandments? Do you try to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ? Yeah. The Father loves you for it. And I will love him. Jesus Christ loves you for it. And will manifest myself to him. What does manifest mean? We've heard it often. It means to open something up so you see exactly what's inside it, right? Okay? Jesus Christ will open himself up to you so you can see all that's in him for you when you love him, when you keep his commandments. Like I said, this is not looking at it from the standpoint of a hammer about why we should keep the commandments. This is the blessing when we do. If nothing else, think about this, brethren. Do you ever doubt your salvation? Do you ever have times when you look at your sin and say, how could, how could even Jesus Christ save somebody like me? Well, can you look back and ever see where you have willingly, intentionally tried to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ out of a sense of love and devotion to Him? If you can ever see that in your life, because the Father's already loved you from all eternity, given you the ability to do that. And somewhere else, again, there's so many verses we could tie into this, but 
Didn't Jesus say something about those that come to him? I will in no wise cast out, you know, that the father which has sent me, you know, you know, he's got him in his hand. I mean. And look at this, brethren, we're talking about the triune God. We're talking about the whole Trinity involved in us. Can you wrap your little pea brain around that one? That the God of the universe, this, this Trinity we talk about of, of, of the Word, the Father, and the, the Holy Ghost, that's, that's hard enough. I mean, our, our, my mind has already gone on overload. But now that being is living inside me and wants fellowship with me. You talk about companionship. What more companionship do we need than that? And the fact that he opens himself up, he makes himself manifest to you. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. We're not talking about a passive friendship, right? Where, oh yeah, I'm your friend. Call on me anytime you need to. Meaning the impetus is on you to pick up the phone and call. No, he says here, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Skip down to verse... 26, the Comforter, the Holy Ghost. This is one of those verses where most of the verse is talking about what was going to the apostles. God doesn't promise you that you're going to, that all the Bible and every sermon you've ever heard, you're going to remember. Okay? But notice he's the Comforter. And he has been promised all the way through for us. Verse 27. Why did Jesus tell them all this? Peace I leave unto you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither be afraid. Didn't he start off saying those very words in verse 1? Time has run out. We could go on and look at the vine, the fact that Jesus Christ is the source of all I love this, this metaphor of the vine. You've got a vine and you've got branches, right? And you've got somebody that tends it. Okay? What can the branches do without the vine? Nothing. The vine is what goes down into the earth and pulls the nourishment out and feeds it to the branches. And then you've got, you've got a farmer who's there who's tending it for what purpose? He wants fruit. Well, no. He's not tending it because he wants fruit. He tends it because he wants more fruit. Right? I mean, the, 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 the vine will produce fruit on its own, but he wants to trim off certain ones to give more energy to other ones so that more and better fruit comes out. That's the metaphor that the Lord gives us there. And he talks about it from the standpoint that he did uh, abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except... It abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Our spiritual life is all centered on Jesus Christ. 
what he's telling us here. I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Brethren, do you want to have a fruitful life? Abide in Jesus Christ. Make sure that you're giving the attention to him. You're not diverting to other things. And you'll have an abundant life. Where it talks about here later on about the father, you know, the the husband pruning it. Understand, bad things are going to happen in life to make you better. For what end? To bear more fruit. The Lord is not a green meanie up in heaven just waiting to pound down on us. Right? He's a loving Father who wants the best for us. He wants fruit from us. And when we're talking about fruit, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Are those horrible things that you really don't, you know, think are so hard to have in your life? Now they're, they're wonderful blessings for us to have those in our lives, brethren. So when he prunes us, it's to help us to be more loving and to have more love in our life, to have more joy, to have more peace, to be more long suffering. You know, people, when you get to be more long suffering, your life is easier in one sense. Yet you're suffering, but once you, you mean, it means that all this other stuff that used to bother you, you get upset about and have to deal with, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. By abiding in Him. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's love and abide in His love. There again, that unity of God with us when we keep His commandments. Verse 11, I end here. These things have I spoken unto you. Can you take a guess about why? This will be the third time, I think, that words to this effect have been said in what we've looked at. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Does that sound like something else we read by the same guy who pen this book in his epistle? Why did John write to us that our joy can be full? Why did he do that? Because his Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, commanded him to write these things so that our joy could be full. Brethren, I hope that you can read your Bibles from that perspective. I hope that you will go back and start in this coming week and look at it with this perspective in mind. That God is good. That God is wonderful. And that when we do His will, He delights in showing us joy, peace, goodness, mercy in our lives. May He be magnified by the preaching of His Word this day. Would you all join me in standing?